Hello and welcome to Info Black Archive, the podcast where we're attempting to go through the entirety of Doctor Who's back catalogue, including some of the missing ones which are animated, like this one. But we're here now to discuss the Tenth Planet. So which I'm going to say, James would move around, I don't know if he'll agree with me on this one. This is the most important episode of Doctor Who ever made. It's it's a big statement uh, to say it. Hello, everybody. Um, welcome along. It's a big statement to say it, Owen, but it it's definitely in the conversation for it because a lot of fundamental Who stuff pretty much gets introduced in this episode. Like, a lot. Mm-hmm. It really sets the, the groundwork for what happens later on and also the groundwork to make a show like this last for nearly 60 years. Exactly. But also, most importantly, it's the first episode to have three actors playing for Doctor. Is this is this you doing the bo- bo- body double? Yes. Talk about the body double? Yeah, I knew this was going to come up because it was clear that he was having a holiday on three. Uh, uh, no, he wasn't yeah. having a holiday. Do you know who played it? He wasn't? Where the hell was he? <laughs> Injured? Yeah. Um, yeah, no, he um, was very ill. He sent a telegraph, telegram saying which he couldn't come to filming that week because he was so ill, so they had to make him faint. For all is, if he faints, he's not on holiday, he's actually injured or ill. Ah, uh, it's the, the the old fainting technique. Yes. Hmm. But I haven't actually asked you yet, how has your week been? Uh, my week has been pretty busy to be quite honest um i've been in the uk if you're not from around here we have loosened covid restrictions quite a bit so uh things feel almost normal and so i've been catching up with some people i haven't seen since it all began and i've also i've also moved recently so that's been that's been a bit um taking up a lot of time okay because we've had two weeks since our last podcast This will confuddle him because mm. it's two weeks since cause we've, we've been on a week's break, but we only recorded like the end of season one four days ago. Yeah, so we pretty much have gone. <laughs> we pretty much have gone straight from back end of three into into four. But it's a weird start to season four because so much so much ends um, with with this episode i mean if you if you didn't get the hints it really is the end of an era this one um so it feels almost like a transition between the real season four and this kind of the hartnell days it's like an odd transition point between the two it is because of course we're hinting at regeneration here for renewal as they call it at this this stage yes at this stage Um, because yeah it's i think I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm fairly sure it's the first and only regeneration which takes place supposedly mid-season because we would have had an episode before this one, but it's missing. I, I'm not. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I, part of me feels like, and I may be wrong here, who fans, but the transition into Colin Baker might happen in a mid-season. No, let me have a quick look see because I've got them all up. But if that isn't, then then yeah, I think this has got to be the only one because I, because this was still when Who was really running on like a like a school schedule almost. Uh, yep. So I was wrong. Colin Colin Baker. We go from the fifth Doctor into the sixth Doctor in the last episode of season 
21. Okay. So I was slightly wrong, but it's still weird. Mm. It's still a weird way to do it. Yeah, it's, it's obviously strange. I mean, definitely if you've been watching Modern Who, and obviously that's how you start really these days, uh, and you think, oh, Regeneration, that's like a whole new showrunner, and the show's going to take off like a year and a half <laughs> before we can even see the new Doctor. But yeah, back back then it was just, you know, business as usual. See you on Monday. Um, good luck, Patrick. And good luck to you, Patrick, because we've got a lot of him to come up. Yes. But before we get on to that bit, let's start at the beginning. That was exactly what I was going to say, actually. With the characters. If I'm of doing course. this in the right order. I think you we do characters. Right order. Cool. Do we? Wait, do we? <laughs> yeah, so we do characters. So we've been doing this podcast a while. Characters and synopsis, isn't it? Yeah. No, I thought it was synopsis then characters. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's synopsis then characters, folks. Uh, um... <laughs> We've broken it already. Right. I'm 100% it's synopsis then characters, at least in the recent ones. Do you want to do for synopsis then? I never usually do, but I'll give it, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, give, give it a go. Just give it a completely go. off my own memory, this. So I, that's, I, um... that's how I do them. Right, I'll give it a go. So, uh, the Doctor, Ben and Polly suddenly arrive in a very cold, uh, very snowy, very windy South Pole, 20 years in the future in this case, the year 1986. Um, They are at a space command centre led by the ruthless General Cutler, and almost as soon as they arrive, weird things start to happen. A planet has suddenly emerged in the solar system, and it has visitors from another world. Metallic, other sort of human digitally visitors from another world. See what I'm getting at? Yes, it's them. And they're here. And it's our first confrontation with them. And all the while there are great uh, dangers at play. And to make it even worse, the Doctor seems to be getting ill. It's kind of the setup. Yeah, that's the setup. And then they managed to hold off the first wave of those men. And, but, yeah. And but then they come visit again. They realise which something they're afraid of radiation. But can they use that alone to defeat them? Can they blow up the tenth planet? Maybe not because there might be some sabotage. But equally, what they could do is just wait it out. Yeah, <laughs> equally, just sort of wait. Um, there are look. I think this episode is really good. This is a prelude to what I'm going to say here. The way it ends um, basically says all you need to do to stop uh, an alien invasion of the planet, yeah, wait around. It'll deal with itself. Well, isn't that how World of World ended? They essentially just realised which the aliens couldn't survive on Earth. Uh, yeah, well, that was like a virus infection, but that, there was a reason more for that. There's a reason here. They couldn't contain as much power. Yeah, but then all of a sudden, the planet goes and then the Cybermen are just like, ah, oh, poof. They melt away. That, that, that uh, look, I've, I'm sure that if, if your house was to blow up and you weren't in the house, you wouldn't also melt. But you aren't powered by the house. The Cybermen are. So we're, so we're, we're agreeing that Cybermen are sort of running off like wireless batteries. Well, that's what they say in the episode. Do they? Do they? Yeah, they say for ship. For... Oh, do they? Yeah, they do actually say that. Could miss that. 
<laughs> yeah, they say um, the ship is running off power from Mondas, and then it's hinted after they melt, which they must get their power from Mondas. Right, okay. With this new knowledge, I'm going to say fair enough, but I still think it's a bit weak. Oh, it's, it's still a terrible reason. That's a, yeah, I completely agree, but it is also, yeah, there is reason behind it. Yeah, okay, fine. At least it's baked into the episode. At least they've kind of justified it. All right, fine. Uh, yeah, so back to the thing I said in the prelude. Owen, I think this is really, really very good. Okay. But I think the quality of this is strong. Let's put a pin in how excellent you think this episode is and talk about the characters. All of our characters, including for the last time, because we should start with him. William Hartnell. William Hartnell as the Doctor. Thank you. Uh, his his stay is done, his watch is over, uh, and this is it. This is the last story that William Hartnell does. Do you think it's a good ending for him? Yes and no. I think. Uh, please elaborate. Story-wise, I think it's excellent. It gives him someone who's really intelligent from to battle wits with. It enables him to play around the world, gives good grand speeches, does all of that things there. But as we're alluding mm. to right at the very intro, in his in his penultimate episode of this story, he can't be there because he's ill, which kind of just takes the wind out of it for his finale yeah absolutely it doesn't feel like a very good finale for the for the character it pretty much just he arrives back in the last episode and he gets to do kind of a last stand really Mm. and then after that for not very well explained reasons he's just dies his body has worn thin um but an interesting thing which i read while researching this episode Mm. was that they half expected something like this to happen where he would not be able to be there filming. So they sort of, they didn't, I don't think they fully wrote it out, but they had a plan of action in case William Hartnell can't be there to film. So they even had a final episode, William Hartnell's final episode planned without William Hartnell. That's ridiculous. I I mean, I know that's the way old TV writing is done. You have to plan for every permutation, but to, to have to plan a last episode for the actor who may not even be at his last episode. Yeah. It, that is something new. I wish I wish we could see the plans of what was planned for in that uh, scenario. Because I imagine when when William Hartnell phoned, not phoned up, left them a telegram saying, yeah, guys, I can't, I can't be in. I'm ill. I'm really ill. The producer at the time is Lloyd. Must have been there going, shit. Mm. Like that is like it's it's pretty much DEFCON four if the lead the leading person of your show can't turn up to your show, particularly if it's you know the big last hurrah, the last Hartnell story. Uh, you must be must check yours. I mean, I would like to say that what they actually did with the third part, you almost forget he's there that he was ever there before because they just they do it quite quickly. It's a bit of a cheat way to do it, but okay. Yeah. After that, they run through pretty fine. They essentially what they do is they say they make make him randomly faint, no reason is given. I think mm. to be fair, I think it helps it a bit more fact which we did have this, because it at least convinces us beforehand which he needs to regenerate, compared to him just randomly re- needing to regenerate. Yeah, in a sense it does help. It does help in that slide. But they essentially make him faint randomly and they they just 
give um, Ben all of his lines. They go, they make him essentially Ben go, but for Doctor said, etc., etc. Mm. Yeah, Ben, ben like ends that. up Doctor Lighting, and he's effectively, yeah, he becomes Action Man and Thought Man, yeah, pretty much because nobody has any interest in anything else. But with the parts he is in, I know we've been saying for a few episodes, particularly in three, that Hartnell was kind of going through the motions, almost waiting for his contract to end. Do you mm. think that's the same here, or does he actually like give it a proper last stab of energy? I think he does, particularly when he's speaking to the side men about, do you have no fear, no any of that stuff, no emotion, mm. all of that stuff. He's really going for it there. He seems to be putting real raw emotion into it at that point. I think he was really into giving this a last stab. Yeah, I think he was very conscious of the fact he wouldn't get to do it again. And, you know, if I'm only mm. going to do it once, I might as well really enjoy myself. And because while we have been saying, which he didn't seem really engaged with character, there wasn't much going on, I think that was mostly writing because we know yeah. from, from what is talked about William Hartnell and everything written about him, he loved this role. Mm. He wanted to do it for a lot longer. Yeah, obviously things things happened and I think it's a balance between maybe Hartnell losing a bit of love with it and also the writing letting it down. And so, I mean, there are plenty of episodes in season two and three that we do not like and, uh, and we've been open about. And also, I think it's pretty well known at this point, William Hartnell, particularly during season three, was not well. Mm. Not well at all. Hence why he would stumble over his lines so much. Or if he, oh yeah, some... Or for random noise he'd make was in one of the interviews which Peter Purvis did, he was saying which that was mm. his way of trying to remember a line mid filming because they knew he he knew they couldn't cut. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean it's it's it is nice to see because this is probably the best Hartnell episode, even when you take out obviously him not being yeah. there and part of it. But this is probably the best Hartnell episode in like a series. Oh, certainly. I it's the way he delivers certain like, like he, there's a real sense of gusto again, and while the ending is a little bit anticlimactic, and this is mainly because it's animated, and we do have to take that into account, it was because we've only got that left, but it's still a really good way to go out for him. Yeah. So overall, what did you think of his doctor? Oh goodness me! Overall, we're going to go the whole way with this. Yeah. Um, I think you can tell. There are a lot of reasons why Who got popular in the 60s, and you can always point to the Dalek mania, and you can point to all sorts of things, but William Hartnell's the reason people stayed. Yeah, because while he was grumpy, he was had that sort of, like, grandfatherly air, which, which you can very easily see why people got attached to him. Oh, easily. he's He is an excellent Doctor, simply because of the fact that he created him. Mm-hmm. This is his creation. Everyone that comes after is in some way just doing like a Chinese whispers imitation of William Hartnell. But I also think, talking about this, I think you can see where other generations went wrong because they purely went for grumpy side of him. I mean, you think about mm. Collins Baker's initial Doctor in the TV Colin show. Baker, yeah. They sort of went with it with Capaldi as well. Well, they were very much trying to evoke Hartnell yeah. with Capaldi. Yeah. That was the whole thing with him. But they all, every time they did this, they forgot that sort of twinkle, his twinkle in his eye, as they said, as Freddie Lambert said about him. 
They all mm. miss that spark, which makes you feel like, well, he's grumpy. You always feel welcome in his surroundings. Yeah, it's the it's the nuance he brings. Because there are, let's face it, there's a lot of Doctor Who episodes that really are mad. There's not a lot to get your bearings with, particularly as an actor. And having worked with actors, everyone values having something they can grip onto that's really real. So that, yeah. that they can base everything from there. And in a lot of Who episodes, that is not forthcoming I mean, because of they're on some planet out in, out in the middle of nowhere. Just think of a weird planet. There's nothing to hold on to there. Hmm. And yet, even if there are episodes where he was ill or playing it by the numbers, he's still the Doctor. There was never any question yeah. of that. And, I mean, we've, we've seen a lot of Who, and I wouldn't put him above Tennant or anything, because, I don't know, I don't think I could put anyone above him. Yeah. But he's pretty good, isn't he? Yeah. It's a great start. <laughs> we'll give our... Our good old-fashioned in from the Black Archive 10 out of 10 of his realm towards the end of this episode, so you can wait for that. Yes, we'll we'll go the whole way with that. But anyway, uh, we'll we'll go away from Doctor Talk for a bit because there is still a four-part story to mm-hmm. discuss, and I do want to chat about Ben and Polly because it's the second time we've seen yeah. them. Uh, <laughs> it's the only time really on an adventure with with Will, which is a weird one. Yeah. How were they? Do you think? I don't know. You don't. You don't know. I. I'm just thinking. I felt. I felt slightly let down by it. If that makes sense. Like they had a lot of screen time. Ben obviously took on the Doctor role, but still, there's not massive amount which I can remember about their time of the story. Mm. If that makes. I don't know if you feel the same way about that. Yeah, I I do in a sense. Because we're previously saying. Because I know in the end of the season thing, we specifically said, let's hope they don't degrade Polly to some useless screaming girl. Like, she, there's one point where she goes, um, is there anything I can do to help? Admittedly, she's purely trying to get in someone's good book to bring her on to their side. Mm. But equally, she essentially just goes, I can make for coffee. When we know which yeah. she actually has the skills there to be legitimately useful aside from making coffee. That was that was a bit a bit of a demeaning line to be put in there by the writing. It does kind of relegate Polly in a sense because Ben's pretty much doing all the action here, and Polly just kind of there were there were episodes where Barbara's job was to be kind of the moral compass in the early Who episodes. Yeah, but even when she was doing that, Barbara was still being part of the action, right? Yeah. Here in this episode, Polly's not part of the action. She sits around as the men make decisions and and sort of whenever there's a sort of moral thing, when the sidemen come through and say, oh, we don't have any emotions, there's no point in feeling those. It's Polly's job to be like, but emotions are really important. It's like, ah, oh, yes, now a woman can speak. It's the- <laughs> they also hand that in the most weird ways. Like, she just flings herself at them, despite the fact they're obviously dangerous. Yeah, that's bonkers. Yeah, she's... It's almost... There are moments where she's then too brave. Yeah, to she, the point where you're like, "What are you doing?" It's like that in for gunfighters when Dodo's playing for piano. Stephen yeah, tells her to yeah. stop, and she just goes, "But I'm enjoying it." And you suddenly go, "What the, are you on about?" Yeah, they're, they're like they're going to shoot you if you enjoy it. <laughs> it's it's very strange how they handle Polly. Um, I just think there's so much more 
in that because we watched her in War Machines and she was great because she was part of the action. Yeah. And as we were saying, like, I said this, if they turn around and try to go down the same route as Susan, Vicky and Dodo, it won't be a good character. And I hate to say it, in this particular episode, it looks like they might be going down that route. Yeah, in this episode, it's not a great... I mean, we can probably move on to Ben when I say this anyway, but the reason Ben is good in this episode is because Ben has a lot to do. It's simple as that. He has to... He's playing an active role, even without the fact he's taking on the Doctor's lines. He's playing an active role in the story. He's... He's being when he gets sent away, he he essentially at one point gets set, taken prisoner and shoved into a projection room. He thinks his way through it. He turns around, projects blind for side man, uh, and he's thinking his way through it and actually doing things with it. Yeah, we see a character who is self motivated, and that's so important in any script is to think that character is thinking independently, not oh, the writer has made that character do this. <laughs> it's it's trying to maintain that illusion of that's a person. That I like. Yeah. Yeah. Polly doesn't come across as that. And that is just poor writing. I think Annika Wills is doing a perfectly solid display with what she is given. Yeah. But, you know, it it doesn't feel like she's thinking for herself. Because even there's one point where the conclusion is obviously something along the lines of let's... Let, as we were saying before, she was trying to change her mind of Barclay. It's like, obviously, that's what she needs to do. But she also kept asking for clarification from Ben as he was being dragged away. Yeah, it's literally like, wait, what? It was just... Um, it was like she took a, such an about turn from where she was in War Machines. Because in War Machines, she was very bright. She knew what she was doing. She was a very good typist. She picked up things about computers from where she was working. And then... Meh? Yeah, they, none of that was applied here. Hopefully, when we get to the next stories, that will reverse and we'll have, we'll have our Polly back. Maybe that maybe that's a tweet for this series. Mm. Tweet us at bring Polly back. Is <laughs> return her to where she was <laughs> literally two stories ago. Please God. Um, but yeah, outside of that, um, once we go through characters and everything actually no we can talk about ben briefly yeah ben's really good because he's inside the action yeah and i i'll also like the fact that he has a bit of an edge to him yeah not in the steven sense but he seems a bit rough and ready and he's not afraid to you know be violent when it's required and i think if you play that right against the doctor character that's a really good thing to do but i don't think they'll do it but the potential's there they also did for a really odd thing which they always do to soldiers navy men in this sort of scenario, when they they get put in front of a, a senior figure, which mm. obviously has got nothing to do with their actual rankings at home, just salute and say their rank. Yeah, well, that's actually I, what a military man would do. Yeah, it just feels weird. I think it's actually in character because I I think they'll have realised right this is a setting I am I am familiar with to some degree. Yeah. So I'm going to hold on to what I am familiar with. If someone's yeah. asking who I am, I'm going to say that because that's all. Like, that's what he knows. Yeah, good point. But, you know, I, I can get why you think that because obviously if you're 20 years in the future, it is pointless to say it. But there's a sense of familiarity. And for military people, that rank holds a lot of weight Yeah. in terms of the identity of that person. Also, just while we're on for characters, before we move on to the story, yeah, I wanted to quickly discuss something with you. Yeah, go on. So, do all for our research and stuff, learn about the little stories. We like to look at the Doctor Who 
wiki for Tardis Tater Core. And there's yes, something on, very, very good source of knowledge. Something on here which I wanted to discuss with you. Okay. So it's got the main enemy, obviously, the Cybermen. Mm. But also General Cutler, the general yeah. in charge, the CO. Would you count him as an enemy in this story? I would say he's the enemy in this story. I wouldn't even just count him as Anne. Really? Yeah, genuinely. I really would. And I'm going to make a big, big statement here. Cutler is the best baddie on who so far. Wow. Why, why is that? Because you could, you can look at his character and for everything he does, you can justify it. That is that is true. You can you can see his reasoning behind where he went from. Yeah, it's like he's doing the wrong thing. That's not up for debate, but you can see why he thinks it's the right thing. Yeah. And that is the best way to write a villain. That is if you can make someone see their point of view, you have a good character when they're against you. Can I put this to you then? I I, I sort of disagree with what you're saying. I think Cybermen's the main Which enemy. Which is fair enough, because Cybermen are the yeah. main threat of the whole yeah. story. So, a common complaint about Cybermen in the modern era is that they often are put up as window dressing against an even worse threat, or just as an excuse to have monsters there. Yeah. Do you think their debut was also that scenario? That's a, that's a really good question. Um, I'm going to say no, because... The setup of it, or the setup of the story, gives the Cybermen a lot of background. Yeah. It's more so than you would get with um, maybe a lot of the enemy species we've had before. You know, I think about, like, Web Planet. I think about, like, the Space Museum mm-hmm. folks who just sort of say, oh, yeah, we do wars, in a, in a vague sense. With the Cybermen, it's like, well, we were like you, and we were on a planet here, and we were twinned, and then we fe- we drifted away, and then we became different, and we went on our own paths. We, you know, we diverged. Mm. So automatically, you have to view them as like, well, this is kind of an alternate. Who could we become? And then when you're talking about the emotion stuff, then obviously that's a debate about what makes a human human and what makes a human not human. But you're saying which all of that stuff is being overcut, is being undercut in a way by a general cutler. I do not. I actually don't think so. You can you can have two main villains and not have them undercut each other, mm-hmm. um, because the side men are providing the main threat to all the characters, including the villain. Yeah. A villain isn't always necessarily the person who's doing the big bad. A villain can be turned under pressure. Cutler becomes a villain because of the pressure of the Cybermen on him. Yeah. That's what... I mean, those things are what lead to the story playing out. And the Cybermen put enough pressure on, for example, his son, because that's the whole justification really for a lot of the things he does and so under that pressure you see whether someone is a good man or whether someone is maybe not a good man and and that's just you see the way cutler goes and you see the way the doctor goes for example and you see the differences it's kind of like in time meddler when the monk's there and obviously he has a similar origin to the doctor and they started in the same place but now they're in completely different places because of they made different decisions yeah so that's how i see it um, I don't think they take away from each other at all. If anything, they add to each other. Mm-hmm. So the Cybermen being there puts pressure on Cutler and makes him be a villain, in a sense. And then he takes over. And at that sense, and in that sense, it's almost like um, 
the base that they're on, the South Pole base, becomes like a really contained, like, psychological thriller because Cutler's messing about with them inside. Yeah, because this is our first real look at a base under siege story, which will become a common theme with Troutnall. But it's our first proper look at it, isn't it, really? Mm. Where you're stuck with a problem and you need to try to get yourself out of it. Yeah, and all the while you're stuck in this very closed environment and there's no way out of it. Mm. Yeah, and so Cutler adds the pressure there when the Cybermen aren't there. So the pressure is always on. And and that's why I do think that like a, a lot of the Tenth Planet is really like top tier. I, I'd probably only put Dalek Invasion above this. Okay, that's... So you're singing for praise of this one very well. Yeah, I think this is really... Now, I will say that the fourth part... And it's animated, so we have to put that into account. The fourth part is okay. Yeah. But it's not as good as the rest. Yeah. It sews up a bit quickly, like a lot of Who stories do. Um, the, the the whole regeneration feels a bit anticlimactic. And the, the main problem I've got is when they kill Cutler. Mm-hmm. That's the main problem with the whole story. Why is that? Because... Cutler was in the perfect position yeah. where he had to make a choice. Did you want him to have a redemption arc? I didn't want him to have a redemption arc necessarily. I'm just saying that it was an option that they had. Yeah. They could even make him kill someone in there. They could make him go the complete other way. Yeah. But at least then, that's... When I when I did my script writing course, everyone talks about stakes and, um, and tension and questions a lot yeah so the point is the more you can put in a character's way and the more pressure you can put them under the better because that inevitably leads them down certain paths if you know your characters you know how they react Mm -hmm. with with cutler being killed almost conveniently it takes away all the problems in a way that doesn't feel very satisfying i'd have liked to see that play out to its conclusion they also don't hang on it very well very long do they because i don't really yeah, it's really, very much forgotten i don't really thought it was an actor for a few moments and took tricked which of cutler because it literally just happens and then they move on to something else and it gets referenced a few times yeah i i like imagine imagine a scenario where cutler initially survives yeah but then it, when the sidemen arrive he has to like He's in a fit. He's obviously having a fit of rage, and he's trying to like go off at everyone because he thinks his son's dead. And then, then because of his actions, he gets killed rather than being just killed because. Yeah. The sidemen are just like, well, you're obviously being a threat to us, so we're going to do you in. And then his son comes back on the screen. Now that that's writing, that's drama. Mm-hmm. That would be a much better way to do that because they kind of do it, but not. It wouldn't have the same impact. Yeah. I don't know, there's just so much, such an opportunity missed with killing him when they did, because there was more to give out of him, and he's a really good character, a really good character. Do you think we're ready to move on to the story? Yeah, just about. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the story is, I mean, the quantum physics aside for how a planet just arrives in the solar system and doesn't affect much of the other planets or whatever. Um, it's a good setup for a sci-fi story because it's in- inherently fantastical and it's a great big what if. Uh, and the first 
episode goes into all those questions and then we realize what's going on. Yeah, so um, which so is the Cybermen. In that first episode, they land they land for TARDIS, they meet the army men, they get taken in for Temp Planet appears. William Hartnell's there going, I know what's going on, I know what's going on. Uh, Cutler, James's favourite character, completely ignores him. And well, he's in charge. Yep, completely ignores him and continues on truck because they've got astronauts in the sky. They're trying to save these astronauts, but something weird is happening. A new planet's appearing. They suddenly realise which the Doctor knows something. What did he know? What did he know? The Doctor seems to know what's going on already. Like he he knew the events which led up to this. Which is weird, because we've never really had that yet before. Yeah, it's almost like he's saying, well, I actually know the, the, the ancient history of the Earth. And if he did, and we, we, we act like Mondas, the Cyberman Earth, is part of that, then yeah, he probably would know it. But it feels like at that point you start going into the, is it a cop-out because he knows how the story's going to end? Which he does, because he knows which way to do this. It's just to wait it out. In a sense, yeah, but it's... What makes the story tick there is is the fact that the Doctor isn't listened to by other characters and they make the story by that. Yeah. So really it's a, it's a story about how communication failures effectively lead to bad decisions being made. Mm-hmm. So it's fine for him to know because it's we find it annoying when people aren't listening to him. Yeah. Rather than... So it's a slightly different way of of doing kind of story information, but it works still. So as this all goes on, General Cutler gets more and more worked up as they get struggled to bring down their their ship in space and sends people out to open up for Hut, a.k.a. Vatardis. But when they're doing this with Vatardis, they come across some resistance. Hmm for Cybermen, which kill them when they go in for base and they're there and then we have a big speech. Yes, they got about emotions. I want to say before we get to that Cyberman speech, um, so you know the guys that they kill sort of just initially, the, the sort of recon party yeah. that goes out to check what's going on with the with uh, the TARDIS and then the Cybermen go and kill them. The Italians. There's a, there was a man in there Yes, that has delivered the most funny part of Who since we started this podcast. Really? What was it? Absolutely. It's when uh, one of them is looking through the periscope and obviously um, Ben and Polly have just shown up. Yes, it's right at the very beginning. Yeah, and he's like, there's there's people here. And then the, then the really Italian man is like, well, come on, there's no people here. Uh, and then he goes, there's a woman. And then he goes, ah, yeah, there's a well, woman. <laughs> <laughs> You've almost certainly peaked your microphone at that point, haven't you? <laughs> woman <laughs> it's 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 not a funny line it's just the delivery of it is inch perfect yeah and, and then he literally delivers like every italian word that that is known in cliche he's just like mamma mia bellissima <laughs> sure every italian says that all the time it's basically stereotypes for story, for musical. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty racist to Italy. And I see now why we lost the Euros. Finally, karma has been done. Justice has been done for what we did. Um, but this, this is actually something which I'm going to mention later on. This is actually 
considering the time, a very diverse story. Yeah. Because you have one of the spaceships in the sky was, I think, the second black talking story role within Doctor Who. Mm. We had different people say, go to Geneva, whereas like the, the ultimate person in charge is. And you have those people from different countries around him helping out at one point. Yeah, it's like a UN situation. And the UN guy speaks French. Yeah, at one point they do well, speak, the speak a different language. We have the first ever mention of Alan Z on Doctor Who. Mm. Yeah, so it's surprisingly for the time, it's actually quite diverse, despite everything they did to Polly. Yeah, I, you know, you have to give them some points, and then you have to take away some points. They tried. <laughs> they didn't execute very well, but they tried. Yeah. You have to admire that. So getting more back on track, what did you think about the Cybermen's reveal? Um, The way... The way they arrive, the issue obviously with kind of that death method of we just sort of hold onto their shoulders and they die is it's not great visually. <laughs> so you're just kind of watching people drop dead. But the costuming is really is cool. Yeah. Something which we're going to see a lot, I think, particularly with Third Doctor, around this age of television, they seem to be under the impression that the only way to injure someone is a karate chop to the neck. Yes, it was the only thing it, you could do in the 70s. It's when they out. Basically, everyone knew about Bruce Lee movies. End of. Yeah, it's weird. But moving on from that weirdness, yeah, what did you think? It was karate chops to the neck. Aside from that, the reveal, I thought, I thought it was quite good. It set them up very quickly. Instantly made them memorable. Yeah. I think what what's good about it is that pretty much they arrive. They do the speech in the incredibly, like, it's mildly annoying voice, but you can kind of work with it because it's so melodic. It's it's oddly sing-songy, isn't it, at points? Yeah, it's it's very oddly melodic. Like, there was one, there's one side band, you know the one that ends up at, like, the UN bit later on? Yeah. And he has a slightly higher voice than the others. And they're sort of communicating over radio, and it sounds like they're singing to each other for a bit. Yeah, everything he says is like, <laughs> no matter what he says that's all it sounds like yeah it was it's definitely an interesting way of communication I really liked speaking about their costuming and their approach something which I wish they did more in modern hope in particular for where they open mm. their mouths and it sort of sounds like they're just blasting out the voice out of their mouth when they open I love yeah. it it's, it's really freaky yeah, it's it's just it's just a nice, clever technique because that'll have just been done in the post record, I imagine. Or it, it'd be that, or what they similar to how they do for dialects with a person on set speaking over a microphone. Yeah, potentially. Um, but yeah, it's it's such a it's a small thing to do, really, but it makes such an impact because naturally we humans want to understand faces and we know that a mouth opening usually means something comes out of it with the movement, not the mouth just opens and it speaks independently. <laughs> Yeah. So it throws us off. It's a good way of getting you unsettled. Yeah, it it's a really good one. And then episode two. I'm rushing yes. through because we've spent ages talking about other things. Oh yeah, we have. But we've gone through a lot of the episode. It's, yeah, episode yeah. two. <laughs> episode two. Uh, oh yeah, the Simon come down and they essentially start to run the run the station they essentially tell the humans your spaceship is gone forever 
they humans refuse to acknowledge that blah blah and then there's a fight Cy- Ben gets shoved off into a side room with a projector he blinds the Cybermen and then they come out they Ben with Cutler kills them all and then we're back to no Cybermen that's episode two essentially isn't it anything you want to talk about inside about episode two um not massively because that you've pretty much described everything that's the first wave of Cybermen and yeah. they have to deal with that in episode two all the while uh, everyone is working out what Mondas is doing which is vaguely described as um pull it, harnessing the energy of the earth to fuel yeah. Mondas and when it when it gets all the energy the earth will be lifeless and dead and no one will survive of course because the energy will be gone whatever that means yeah did you feel like which for some have how do you feel about how for some were beaten on that first wave do you think it was too easy or did they work hard enough i think it makes sense because they were a small party yeah that's the only reason because it's it's a difficult one to balance when you're escalating a villain up um because, yeah, a good way to do it is to start with just a couple of them, but make it obvious that one side man is definitely better than one human. Yeah. So that then when you bring 100 side men or however many you can afford, you think, oh, that's a big problem now because we saw what three could do. Yeah, but then you also need to try to balance that to make sure you don't have what we've happened with, particularly with the Dalek, first Daleks and also Invasion of Earth where you essentially spent this entire episode ramping them up to this ultimate killer machine and then you just mm. turn them into bumper cuts. Yeah, it's a very difficult balance to pull off and I think they do it pretty well with the Cybermen because you still get kind of the fear factor that, you know, they're obviously very strong, they can pretty much kill you in an instant, they know what you're doing um, and their lack of emotions in that sense is a strength. Yeah. So they work well as villains. And then when a lot of them arrive, you think, oh, well, everyone's toast now if there's multiple Cybermen. I mean, I wish they'd have shown some Cybermen invading the world because they go on about Cybermen landing about. But the budget didn't stretch that far, we, <laughs> I presume. We get that with the invasion. Oh, good. Um, but then with them all turning up, that kind of happens in episode three. Episode three is when we're in this interlude where they kind of preparate, trying to work out ways to take out the Cybermen ship. So Cutler decides, goes to Neva and goes, I want to use the Z-bomb, the, the nu- big nuclear weapon on, on them to destroy them. Geneva doesn't yeah, basically give... basically have a super nuke. Geneva doesn't give him permission to do that, but they say which he can use any means possible, which he intends to do. just goes, okay. Yeah, he basically says, all right then, uh, he, he's just finding a loophole. And yeah. at that point, he's like, well, I'm using it now because he said anything. Yeah. But not everyone in the control room is convinced. Barkley. Yes, I want to talk about Barkley. Yes, actually. take away. But we'll go... Oh, d- Right. You want me to go for Barkley? Yeah, go for Barkley. Cool, I'll go for Barkley. Barkley, great side character. Really great side character. Um, just because you get in his head. Yeah. And you can see how his motivations are. And he comes across well, he comes across the league, he comes across knowledgeably. And you also have Dyson on the other side. Yeah. Who almost seems to be the antithesis and he seems to be like the pessimist. They're for yin and for yang of the control room. Yeah, they act as a small yin and a yang. It's it's a, such a clever way to bring in side characters. Just 
make them contrast each other and and that colors what you're trying to do with the episode right yeah it it makes them memorable automatically it makes them kind of work as a twin pairing and they add something to the episode both characters are really good to watch and you remember them i wish dyson had more screen time though because it spent a lot of time on barclay but honestly you only really start to notice dyson the final episode yeah, because Dyson's a more in the final episode because he's in the radiation room with Ben and, yeah. and the others. Uh, yeah, but it still works, yeah. I think, very, very well. And I think the actor who played Bartley does a really good job. In the same way the actor who played uh, Cutler does a fantastic job, actually. Um, so at this point here, so they managed, Ben and Polly managed to play Bartley to, they need to stop the ship going up with a bomb. Quite sensibly, can I just add? <laughs> yeah, very sensibly. Um, and so Barclay gives them a little way of yeah. uh, diffusing, pretty much, or creating a very minor fault, which before he's caught, at least Ben is just about able to do. Yeah, so they set a plan in place to stop it taking off, but Cutler finds him and chucks <laughs> poor yeah, Ben off. chucks him off the railing, off just the railing. down to wherever. Yeah, she's like... No, I'm going to ask what you're doing. Goodbye. And yeah, it's just like get get done. He's straight over the railing. It's like uh, Palpatine at the end of Star Wars. Honestly, straight down into the bottomless pit of death. Although fortunately for Ben, the worst he gets is a bump on the head. Yeah, which I think is one of probably one of the least realistic things. I would have thought he would have got yeah, more injured. Yeah, don't worry about it. It's you know he's got, but we don't know how high it was. To be fair, no, because um... we don't see the angle. <laughs> But then they go off to launch the ship as Cutler's son is also launched in... I forgot to mention this bit. Cutler's son is going up to save the two astronauts in the ship, which sadly died. So now Cutler's... Yeah, even though they're already dead. So he's pretty much stuck up there. Cutler's stressing out and then hundreds of side men turn up. And then that takes us on to episode three. Episode four. Yeah, and then and that that's where Cutler reaches maximum stress because all of a sudden we see the feed get lost on Cutler, which is exactly what happened with the others, making you think, oh God, Cutler's son is has exploded up something or Mondas's gravity pulled him in or something awful happened. Yeah. And so Cutler is absolutely convinced, hell-bent, my son is dead and it's the Dr. Ben and Polly's fault entirely. But that happens, they, they think his son is dead after we have the failed launch. So at this point, Cutler's yes. really raging because they are convinced which if a failed launch killed his son. Yeah, and he believes he's been ignored, blah, blah, blah. And the sabotage, yeah, has literally killed members of his family. And this is what I was saying about Cutler before. Everything he does is justifiable. Yeah. It's entirely justifiable from one level. It doesn't make it good, but you, but you can see why. You can see the perspective. So at this point, uh, Cutler pulls a gun on Barkley and says it's all your fault and mm. essentially goes to kill him. But there's, there's an interruption the Cybermen are back. Bum, and bum, they kill Cutler. Yeah. And then that's that's that interesting side passage gone. Yeah. Oh, God. It, it, if they had explored that, this might be the best Who story so far. Yeah. If they'd have actually gone there. But because they didn't, it relegates it down. Um. So, yeah. So, the Cybermen want the bomb to be removed so they could talk. But actually, they want the bomb to blow up the Earth. So, Mondas doesn't explode with too much power. So, they yeah. sent off all the men... It's time for Doctor and Polly to go remove the bomb and do something with it. They take Polly into the spaceship, Doctor with them. Uh, the men decide which they're going to refuse to, realise which Simon's weakness is radiation, etc, etc. <laughs> um, 
Do you have yeah, a lot going on, yeah. but not a lot actually happens yeah. in this episode. Uh, a lot's more said. If at any point you want to say something, just interrupt me. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Endlessly ramble. <laughs> you're still on. A, you're still on the right tab. Keep going. Um, so they realize Simon don't like radiation. They realize the plan. They get they trap Simon with radiation. Get them killed. And they all come in. Uh, they have a standoff, and then Mondas get overpowered. Then they all melt. Story's over. Ben goes, oh no, Polly and Doctor are all in for Simon's ship. They run there. I like how the Simon's ship is not melted. Um, yeah, that's fine. Don't worry about that. <laughs> that's like... It, as you were saying before, it's a bit of a cop-out how it all melts away. But that, Yeah, this is the thing. But that's... Because the Cybermen, if they'd have survived on their own and they'd have seen the destruction of their planet, maybe that's an opportunity there. But then I can... I can go with the idea of that the, they're getting the power from from Mondas, which means they all melt away. But that also logically means their ship should melt away or explode. Yeah, basically, look, you have to go the whole way. Well, basically, realistically, the Doctor and Polly tragically melted in a ship, or they're sitting in like some goo. Yeah, but none of that happens. <laughs> uh, they go. Yeah. Ben goes there, releases Polly. Doctor's weak. They take him to the TARDIS. They regenerate. End of. That's the episode. We yeah, that is the episode. So and and yeah, episode four. The doctor sort of like ah, oh, you know, I'm just feeling a bit yeah, bit f- all he's wearing a bit thin. Yeah, and then they go and regenerate. Then he turns into Patrick Trout. It's it really is like almost pot C of the episode. Oh, by the way, doctors changed while you were dealing with all that nonsense. Yeah, I don't understand how that would have worked without him fainting in episode three. Yeah, if anything, you can tell they kind of adapted it after that. They were like, oh, well, at least we have a reason to do this. Yeah. And probably just went with that. And yeah, the writing on this is actually very strong. There's good writing yeah. throughout Ten of the Planet. And in four, it's less good. And yeah, they do make a couple of wrong decisions. But it doesn't take away from the fact that the episode's very strong. So just a note on the writer. You know how on War Machines, I was saying it was based off the idea from their scientific advisor. Mm. This was written by their scientific advisor and Gary Davis. Scientific advisor Kit Pendle. Um, I salute you for being pretty good at what you're doing. So in summary, James, what did you I'm think dead now. what did you think of this episode? Um the first three parts are as solid as pretty much any Who story we've watched so far. It's Cutler is a fantastic watch. The Cybermen are introduced well. The tension is there throughout. The characters have good stuff to do, apart from Polly, but, you know, you can't be perfect. But then the fourth episode wraps it up a little too neatly in a bow and makes a couple of decisions that that weren't bad necessarily, but meant that some opportunities were missed. Yeah. And what did you think, Owen? Rolling on that. Well, I'm can disagree with you slightly on the last episode. I thought it was good all the way through. But mm. I do think the way they ended it with how everything just melts if you wait was a cop yeah. out. It was a massive cop out. And I agree which I felt like they could have and should have done more with Cutler's death. Yeah, so it's not to say it was bad, but it could have been better. And yeah. I think that can be slightly frustrating when you know that there's a really good story there and all they needed to do was one thing slightly differently and they'd have had it. So we've reached the end. So let's do our standard. Let's rank this episode out of 10. 
Uh, I'm going to give this... I would have given this a nine if um, they'd have kept Cutler going, but I'm going to have to give it an eight. Yeah. Because that fourth I'm episode doesn't quite agree. live up. I'm probably going to agree with you because we didn't... We gave Dark Invasion of Earth a nine, and I don't think it's on that level. Yeah, it's, it's not on close. that level, but it's pretty close. It's yeah, one of it's, the best. This would have been top in season three, for sure. This would have been top of season yeah. three. Probably um, been top of season one as well. And also, since we've got one last ten out ten score to give for Doctor, mm. we teased it. What is it? That's just a huge question to to lay out. Seven, but a high seven. Hmm. I'm going to go six. Oh, six? See, six to me sort of sounds like, yeah, it was all right. It's only one less than yours. I, I know, but like <laughs> when I say seven, high seven, it's I, like, yeah, like seven's like a so, yeah, where six is like a yeah. My thinking oh, is of behind that is that he was an amazing start. He made it what it is. But you also, mm. for whatever reason, I know it was largely due to illness. Towards the, and also I think it was just due to the rise having enough of him. Towards yeah, the, towards the end, it was just paint by numbers, particularly in season three and parts of season two. It was just paint by numbers, Doctor. So we didn't see. I can agree with I, that. We didn't get that much growth in there. Well, I do think he was amazing. A lot of the time, it was paint by numbers, sound a bit soundboarding. I just think though, when it was good, yeah, when it, when he was good, it was when it was good, good. It was good. Not only that, you do have to give him almost a bonus for for kicking the whole thing yeah. off, yeah, in a way. And there are some really great stories he's in. I mean, Dalek Invasion of Earth is phenomenal. Time Meddler is great. Keys of Marinus is great. Um, yeah, and hell, he even survived the ending of the Sensorites. <laughs> And now, as with the sensorites, we must end suddenly. As I, <laughs> I have dealt with James, so we must end. Please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast. If you disagree with me about giving Hartnell a six, you can tweet in at blackarchipod or you can email us blackarchipod at gmail.com. A huge thanks for listening as always and yeah welcome to season four we're up and running we've got plenty of plans this season including a lot of animated things and even uh, one or two special bonusy episodes yeah as well. we're being let out louse and about in the world how terrifying it yeah. really really is too scary for those to contemplate but yeah thank you for listening have a good week we'll be back next week with another Dalek episode a wholly animated Dalek episode and our first look at Patrick Troughton, the second Doctor. Did you... One last question, actually, before we do end yeah. it. Do you think we get this far? Hand on heart? Yes and no. <laughs> That's not an answer. <laughs> you can't answer all, all permutations, really. I thought... I, I thought we... Let me put it this way. I deemed this a failure if we didn't meet, reach the first Doctor. Right, Okay. <laughs> Well, we got there. Yeah, we got there. So we're now just above a failure. Well, if you liked this Just Above a Failure podcast, keep on listening. We'll be back next week for more Just Above a Failure. <laughs> Thanks very much, and we'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>